0: Welcome to the Life Bridge podcast. We exist to practice the way of Jesus, participating in God's kingdom coming in Dover as it is in heaven. My name is Tyler Saldana and I'm the pastor of our church community. We are so grateful that you're checking out our church's podcast. We pray that the spirit uses this podcast to encourage you in your following of Jesus.
1: My sermon this morning is going to be taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, which will be read for you in a minute. And when I read that, I thought of the uh, daytime soap opera, As the World Turns. 54 years on TV. 54 years. It's almost older than I am. It would be older than I am if it kept running, but it stopped in 2010, started in 1954. 56. 1956. It is the longest, it has logged the most hours on TV of any show, and it's only fourth in uh, the longest running, Guiding Light, I believe, and General Hospital, and there's another one that beat it out on actually longevity of it. But what kind of attracted me to this was a a statement that the writer wrote, and I have no idea, I've never watched the show Um, I've never seen anything of it, but it's basically a show about professionals and their families in a fictitious town called Oakdale. But Irma Phillips, the creator, wrote, As the world turns, we know the bleakness of winter, the promise of spring, the fullness of summer, and the harvest of autumn. The cycle of life is complete. It reminds me of the Disney film Lion King, who also talks about the cycle of life. Cycle of life. This sermon is taken, like I said, from Ecclesiastes, which was made really famous by the birds. In 1965, a good year, right? Pete Seeger wrote the song, Turn, 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 or better known as To Everything There Is a Season. And on December 4th, 1965, it became the Wumber One song about Three months after I was born. Turn, turn, turn. There is a time. That's the name of my sermon this morning. My three main points are there is a a season. The world keeps on spinning. Number two is God dwells with us. And lastly, we share together in the dwelling of God and the season of life. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man.
0: This is the word of God.
1: Thanks be to God. A time. Are these things good and bad that are listed? Is there a time for bad to happen, evil? Is there a time for good? We are living in a world that cycles. Are we just, we have good days, we have bad days, we lose, we gain, we laugh, we cry. The world, is it just a big ball that keeps on spinning and spinning and spinning and our life mimics that. This part of Solomon's way of just saying, vanity, vanity. I don't know how many of you read Ecclesiastes, but it seems the main theme is in uh, King James, it was vanity, vanity. Other versions say, meaningless, meaningless. Life is meaningless. Even in this verse, you see the toil of man, the toil that's been put upon man, meaningless. Is this another way for Solomon to say, Wow, this is just meaningless. The world just keeps going and spinning and spinning. We struggle to find meaning and purpose in our lives and in situations we go through. Someone goes through a hard time. When we go through hard times, often we we pluck at, what's the the purpose of this? Why am I going through this? What's the reason behind it? Sometimes when we go through good things, is it just because we're smarter? Is it because somehow we're better than somebody else? Is Meredith's life saved because of who she is? We try to ascribe purpose to the point where even sometimes we ascribe purpose to other people's lives. Maybe if they would have just done this, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Or, you know, maybe God's really dealing with their heart right now. Maybe there's a sin in their life that they need to have something taken care of. How many times do we look at hardship that way? Or we look at good things and we kind of go like, well, yeah, you know how they got that, right? Right? Purpose. Is there purpose to our life? Is, there, is everything that happens to us, everything we go through, is there a purpose to it? Solomon uh, says here in verses 12 and 13, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. What about this holiday season? This seems reasonable, right? How many of you gathered together with family and friends and ate and drank and filled yourself and refilled yourself, even before you're empty, refilled again? That's the good of life, right? We love the holidays. We love to get together. We love those times of fellowship. Isn't that expected? Isn't that what life is about? Those good times, right? We went to Susanna's house last night. Those who went, what if Susanna would have met us at the door and handed us some cleaning utensil like a brush or a bucket, cleaning supplies, and say, Hey, Dennis, I got the floor I want you to scrub. It's got your name on it, Dennis. We're going to scrub floors tonight. Come on, Anthony, we got this for you to do. Come over here. I got this oven to clean out. Build a little of my dressing over the weekend. No, we were there to have fun, to gather together and laugh and eat. I think maybe we would have found another place to go where there was a real party, right? Of course, it was very tempting to go to Jay's. We talked about that all night, going over to Jay's, because he was watching the sad book. Can you believe I wasted my evening staying up? Oh, I am really ripped. Sorry. I am ticked. We won't go there today. <clears throat> but my friends, how many times does life really give us that? How is your holidays? Free of tension? Were they just. Perfect little, what is it, Holly and Ives, and beautiful. What about your year? Is your year exactly going the way you thought it would? Have there been surprises on both ends of good and things that make us sad, break our hearts? The holidays can be a very, very hard time for many individuals. So often we think this is the life, this is the American dream, this is what we deserve. And when it doesn't measure up to the postcards, when there's dysfunction in homes, because I know I have them in mine, do we just say, okay, that's life? That's just the ebb and flow of life. I find it interesting, there's two other things that Solomon says here that I think are worth pointing out. The first one is verse 12, and to do good while they live. In this ebb and flow of life, we spend so much energy trying to control future that we cannot control. I don't know if you're this way, but I'm this way. What if we utilize that energy to do good in the moment we have? I wrote part of this sermon on December 26th, my day off. You know what I was thinking about on my day off? All the work I had to do in three days because we had a short week at work. And the anxiety grew, and I had to study. The anxiety grew. I don't know if you guys are like this, but when I was a kid, the last week of summer vacation was terrible. I had all these things that I wanted to do, and I I hadn't done them yet, and yet, oh, I'm so scared about school and worried about school. My stomach was in knots. What am I going to do? Last three days of vacation. You guys ever hit this, about Wednesday or Thursday when you're on vacation? Where does your mind go? Back home. But, but I haven't seen any alligators in Florida yet. I haven't taken my kids to see any alligators. We need to go see alligators, don't we? need to see alligators. The first 300 miles on the way home from, from vacation on uh, uh, 75, we're coming home from Florida. I was praying, God, just, just help us to find an alligator so I can show my kids an alligator. Why? I can't control that. I can't make that happen. And how many times did my the people closest to me pay for that. My anxiety makes me short with people. I have no patience. How many times do we miss the good in the moment because we're so anxious about controlling something we have absolutely no control over? Proverbs says, "Do good." Uh, excuse me, Ecclesiastes says, "Do good." Number, uh, and in verse 11, it says, He has made eternity, he's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I want to get back to this beauty thing in the ebb and flow of life. Not that the ebb and flow itself is beautiful, not all is good, not all is beautiful, but in its time, there is beauty. We have to remember that. But the second thing here is God has set eternity in our hearts. God has set something in our heart that says there is more to this world than just the ebb and flow. There's more than that this world is just turning. 54 years of it, right? There's more. And we know there's more. In our hearts, we know it. So if eternity has been set in our hearts, doesn't it make sense to know the one who holds that eternity, who is that eternity? God. Because not only is there an ebb and flow in life, not only is there a season and times in life and a a continual turning, but there is a dwelling of God. And that's where I'm going to flip to Revelation. I'm following the lectionary lectionary scriptures, by the way, so I didn't purposely put these two scriptures together, but they are part of the lectionary, and I find it very interesting. If you have your your Bibles or have an app, turn to it or up on the screen is Revelation chapter 21, the first six verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. God dwells with us. Here we read about a new heaven and a new earth. This is a revelation of the future, is it not? We take the book of Revelation as a future prophetic book? Or is it? Now, come on, Dennis, what are you saying? I do believe it is. But we also sat down in the last several months in our small group over at Mindy's Cafe as men gather there every Wednesday morning at 6.30 to eat breakfast and fellowship, and at 7 o'clock we do our Bible study from 7 to 8.00. Any man is invited. I guess if you ladies want to stop by, uh, we would invite you as well. It be interesting. But we have a unique relationship because we're men. We tend to understand each other differently than... But anyway, we won't get into that. That's a totally different subject. Bunny trail. Shoot the bunny. At the end of year, while we read Revelation, uh, uh, we decided to read it not in the context of what is it saying for the future? But what is it saying for me today? The term revelation is one revelation, and at the beginning it says it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. I believe this book is to reveal to us who Jesus is. It's not just a prophetic future book, but it is a book in which it reveals who Jesus is and how he works in our world. And we're a couple weeks in when John Tindor, one of the gentlemen that's, that come along, said, you know what, I'm beginning to read this book, and I'm thinking that we need to read it not only in the present, but in the past as well, as the future. Is there places that we see that these scriptures have happened, have done, have been worked through in people's life in the past? I thought that was pretty wise. We took some time to do that at times. And I think when we look at this Scripture, to see the Scripture and say God's saying, hey, finally I'm going to come and dwell with you, as just a future thing, it's not the complete truth. What does John 1 say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, right? And then it says the Word became what? Flesh. And dwelt Among who? Us. This is not the first time these words have been given in Scripture. Jesus came flesh. We sang a song this morning about Emmanuel. Who knows what Emmanuel means? Yes. God is with us. The name given, the angels gave to Jesus. In the Old Testament, They had a tabernacle. Do you know where the tabernacle was built when they came up out of Egypt? On the outskirts, right? No. In the middle of the camp. And the word dwelling, actually, the word that John uses in Arabic is the same word that means tabernacle. Dwelling. God put His dwelling in the midst. So God is here with us. We sang the songs this morning. God is here with us. Do we have room? <laughs> Again, I find it interesting. First, uh, uh, John 14, I love that scripture. John 14, we see very clearly that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. As we look through the scripture in in, uh, uh, Revelation 21, we go on to see that I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Okay, let's skip down a couple verses. Let's look at chapter uh, verse 9, 9 and 10. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came to me and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of Christ. Now, don't read ahead. I will show you the bride, the wife of Christ. Who is that? Who is the bride of Christ? The church, Right? Anybody disagree with that? Right. Ephesians 5 gives us a beautiful picture of marriage, and at the end it says, but wait, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and his church. But let's read verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Here in Revelation and in another part in Revelation, the bride of Christ is referred to the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven. What does that mean? Who's the bride of Christ? The church? New Jerusalem? Well, perhaps he believes in polygamy we've got two brides this has been a new discovery so if you want to cast stones I guess you can but I think I believe it makes a lot of sense in my theology that we're intrinsically connected to the new Jerusalem as a church I believe in a physical heaven. I believe that there is a room being built, just like Jesus says in John 14. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. I wouldn't tell you this if it wasn't true. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be with me also. I believe that's what this new Jerusalem is. That's what's coming down from heaven. Is my room prepared for me? Is my place, my belonging, but I don't have to just wait till then. God has made me that room. God has made me that space. I am connected to that right now. It has my name on it. And God's not done with it yet. He's still working on it, just like He's working on me. I have a room in His kingdom. I have a room in His church. I have a belonging in the body of Christ. So do you. All of us do. And I believe that we can use the imagery here that is for the New Jerusalem and use it for our church. Not only the global church, but right here in Dover, us. Look at some of the imagery that is given here as the bride of Christ. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, it says that it's shining with the glory of God. Jay's not here, but didn't we sing a song about shining this morning? Ever shining. I mean, the songs this morning was like, yeah, that's it. It was just a confirmation that I'm supposed to say what I'm saying this morning. Because I believe it's true. It's like jasper, like clear crystal. We're precious jewels. We are beautiful. We're pure, beautiful jewels to God. That's how he sees us, church. Church. It goes on to say, where the 12 gates. The tribes of Israel are rooted. We're rooted in the promises of the Old Testament. The foreshadowing of Christ. It showed the way. It's the gates that open us up to the understanding of who Jesus is. It's the way in which salvation walked in and we're able to enter into our rooms. We have the 12 foundations, which are the apostles. We're rooted in the gospels, in the epistles. We understand how Jesus came and walked because his 12 disciples recorded it and wrote it down and continue to talk about it and flush it out for us. We have what it is, and we build upon the truth of the foundation. It is a city of pure gold, refined, clean, forgiven. We are pure before God, transparent. That's verse 18. Verse 22, the God and the Lamb are the temple. We need no temple because God dwells in us. God doesn't dwell in buildings. God dwells in us. We are His temple not just me we we are his temple life bridge we are his temple god's glory is the light it says in verse 23 no need for external light my friends do we reflect jesus christ no We do not reflect Jesus Christ. If we've reflected Jesus Christ, that means He's out there shining on us. The church didn't need a sun or moon because the church, the city, the New Jerusalem had God within it. The glory shone out. We are not reflectors, we're radiant. We're not mirrors or windows the radiation should come out of us listen to what it says the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor bring their splendor into it the church of jesus christ the bride of christ the body of christ has the light for for our world And one day, all the powers of this world will lay down all that they have at the feet of Christ and his church. Everything will be put under the rule of Christ. We are that radiant light. Going into chapter 22, it says in verse 1 that the river of life froze from the throne of God. The church has a river of life flowing out of it out of its submission and its obedience to God. John 4, 13 through 14 says, Jesus said, everyone who drinks, he's speaking to the Samaritan woman, the well of Jacob, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. A little later in Revelation 22, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let us one, <clears throat> let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who thirsts come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. That's us, church. That's the bride. We're inviting people to come and drink. One person says it, We're nothing but a bunch of beggars showing another beggar where to find food. More important is a water of life. goes on to talk about the healing. <laughs> on each side of the river stood a tree of life. It bears 12 crops of fruit. Every month it bears a new crop of fruit, and its leaves are for the healing of the nation. My friends, does Dover need the fruit of the tree of life? Does our nation need the leaves of the healing of the tree of life? Yes, someday that will be fully known, but my friends, you and I are that. This is a picture of who we are. Right here, right now, Life Bridge, Dover, Ohio. The first day of 2023. It's who we are. Do you believe it? You see, my friends, together we share in the ebb and flow of life. We also share in the dwelling of God. There's more. We're told in Ecclesiastes, He'll make everything beautiful in His time. Not because it is, but because we leave it to Him. And instead of wringing our hands, The economy. Release. It's in his hands. It's his. How do we sit together and do this? How do we work together in this? How do we live in our lives this way? Because the oven flow of life brings hurts. The oven flow of life brings things that are not good. The ebb and flow in life bring division in our homes, in our families, in our churches, in our nations, in our workplace. And we know that there's something greater, that we don't just live from season to season to complete the cycle of life and die and become nothing more than fertilizer. We know there is more. How do we live together in community? How do we flesh this out in our lives? What does this look like? Well, I go back to the advice of the preacher, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, Solomon. And I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. Be happy. Oh, come on, guys, smile. Be happy, right? Remember the uh, old shirt in the 80s? Be happy. There was a song Be happy, right? Everybody, be happy. Okay, I have a little problem with that. Anybody else? Just be happy. Really? That kind of happiness tends to bring selfishness, right? Uh, some reason that uh, I'm not happy is because of her, because of this situation. It's because of my children. If I didn't have seven children, and two of them named Trig and Kaylee, I'd be happy. I think they're grinning, aren't they? But we expect everybody to make us happy. We've raised up a whole generation of entitlement. I deserve this. I deserve happiness. Well, let's get back to Jesus' definition of happiness, and I can agree with this verse. Anybody heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Anybody heard of the Beatitudes? We interpret him blessed are, but another interpretation is happy is. Happy is the poor in spirit. Or, excuse me, are. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are the merciful. Happy are the pure in heart. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are those who are persecuted righteousness sake, I dare you to go into your local bookstore and look at the self-help section and find a book that says, Seeking Persecution for Your Real Happiness. (laughs) Right? We've got happiness all screwed up. So be happy. And do good while you live True happiness comes out of us. It does not come from the external things of this world. True happiness moves through us and impels us to do good, we know, lays before us. Happy, content people do good. This is an expression of the eternity that dwells in us. So, people, we have a choice. We have a choice that lays before us. This morning, I have some questions for you. Are you just a victim of your circumstance? Are you just a victim of this world turning year after year after year? Is your happiness dependent on the times and seasons of life? Have you chosen to be the dwelling place of God? Have you chosen to allow the glory of God to radiate out from you? Have you chosen to allow the river of life to flow from you? Have you chosen to let the God of the universe redeem you in the times and seasons of life? Have you allowed God to make all things beautiful in its time? Can we let go and let God Make things beautiful.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the LifeBridge podcast. For more information about our church, please visit lifebridgedover.org. There you'll be able to find out more about the church community, our ministries, ways to get involved, recommended resources, and to give. Be sure to subscribe to receive new episodes directly into your podcast feed. While we are glad that you're checking out our podcast feed, we believe that the New Testament teaches that church worship is to be experienced weekly, in person, within your local church community. Thus, we encourage you to either join us in person for Sunday morning worship or to find and commit to a local gospel-centered church community in your neighborhood. Thanks.